0: Introduce yourself to the audience. And then, instead of doing that, welcome to Active Listeners with Mike. And Shane, that's me. <laughs> and Linnea Barklin, because this is The Great Bamboozle Part oh, Two. Damn it. Hello and welcome to Active Listeners with Mike and Shane. Each week we interview guests about their goals and expectations as artists, their artistic expression, and the all-around nature of the artist's lifestyle. Whoa,
1: whoa, whoa. Is there a de facto artist's lifestyle?
0: Well, that's one of the things we try to uncover.
1: Performers, visual artists, and musicians, Mike and I would like to talk to you about what you do, why you do it, and what that art means for your community.
0: Please follow Active Listeners on Facebook or the Twitters. And join in on the conversation. Peace. Peace. Welcome to the Great Bamboozle Part
1: 2. Oh, I should have seen that coming.
2: I have to admit I feel a little used, but I'm excited.
1: <laughs> I knew you were too prepared by sending that Zoom meeting out early. <laughs> Linnea
0: is a friend of mine and Shane's. After after Shane told me a little story about how in a private other friend grouping, uh, Linnea was giving him a hard time for not being invited on the show. I got a bright idea that I'll get back at Shane uh, for surprising me with a, with a surprise interview episode. And uh, I reached out and here we are. Here we are?
2: <laughs> and yeah, just- here we are. <laughs> I want to be clear that I wasn't trying to.
0: Get- <laughs> no, I know. But I thought, you know what? Perfect <laughs> opportunity.
1: And Linnea, you're lucky. I love you to pieces.
0: So yeah, so we will give our audience an opportunity to familiarize ourselves or be acquainted with Linnea. Linnea, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, share with us your pronouns. And a fun fact, if you will.
2: Oh boy. Okay. So much pressure. First of all, um, hello. I am Linnea Barkland, pronouns she, her. Well, I've known Shane and you, Mike, for a number of years now. Like Shane, I also have a Master of Letters, a Master of Fine Arts and Shakespeare and Performance. I'm
0: officially the dumbest person in the room.
2: (laughs) At least the least, like, credentialed.
0: That could not be
1: (laughs) furthest from the
0: truth. (laughs) On paper, I'm the dumbest person in the room. Right. That I'll give you.
2: <laughs> but I mean, like, you co host with Shane, so
1: <laughs> the bar can only be set so high.
2: Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, so I um, do the Shakespeare thing, the theater thing. I'm predominantly, I identify predominantly as a dramaturg these days, uh, more than a performer, although I do enjoy performance a lot. And working on some fiction writing projects. And a fun fact about me is that I up and moved to Portland a few months ago with no job and (laughs) no real sense of what I was really getting myself into, but things have kind of worked out so far. So
0: Awesome. So yes, today we will be interviewing our, my co-host Shane, Our audience is familiar at this point to some level with Shane and his work, uh, director, Shakespearean scholar, I know you hate when I call you that, actor. Uh, We've talked a lot about your directing. We've talked a lot about kind of what made you get into art. I want to talk to Shane, the performer, because I haven't talked to Shane, the performer, in a really, really long time. Yeah, join the club. <laughs> and I know, Linnea, most of your experience with Shane in and around theater spaces is as a performer.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah, so we're going to talk about that a little bit.
1: Yeah, yeah. You know, I know the audience can't see, but I've been flipping them off for <laughs> a couple minutes now. Uh, no, I think I can handle this. I think, I think I'm excited. I've performed before. I can continue to. <laughs> you can do it again.
2: You can act pleased that this is happening.
1: Look, if you want to put me in a paper (laughs) bag, I'll act my way out of it, all right? All right. So I guess
0: uh, I'll go find a bag, (laughs) and I'll be to your house in about a half an hour. You'll still have to watch from Portland, but I think we can make it interesting. As long as you draw a cool
1: face on it first, I'm
0: good. All right. (laughs) What would you consider the very first full-on, like, acting role you've ever done? I know you've done some singing some some musical work as well
1: what, what do you consider your first acting role my first acting role that doesn't involve music it can that's fine well then that would be a funny thing happened on the way to the forum so way back in the day when i was in high school i got cast as the lead Pseudolus, in a funny thing happened on the way to the forum i knew nothing about acting But my chorus teacher was like, Hey, you sing notes, sing those notes on stage. (laughs) So I did, and uh, that was also pre losing any weight, Shane. So I was over 300 pounds at that point, so I was a big old Roman Greek. What is pseudolus? I don't know, sounds Greek, it's all Greek to me. Shakespeare quote, all
2: right, I caught that.
1: I I figured you would, you know, (laughs) Shakespeare. I've I've met him. And yeah, that was my first role. And I mean, let's pat myself on the back here. I knocked it out of the park. I had some people say that I was better than Nathan Lane, better than Whoopi oh Goldberg. So, you know, I got a big head in theater real early.
2: Um, so how did that okay? Um, is do you mind if I please a follow-up question?
1: No, yes. Yeah, well, you're the you're the co-host. You you right. are that's both right. in Why? charge. I'm just here being a goof
2: <laughs> that's right i belong here okay you say that you got a big head after that how did that influence your your path do you think you got a little too big for your britches too early or do you think that that just helped you dive into things that
1: you absolutely? fucking <laughs> Lily? <laughs> i mean from that point on, I was convinced that I was the end-all, be-all. I was the actor of all actors, put a script in my hand, put me on stage, and I will change the world with my acting.
2: Cool. Did and... you carry that script on stage? <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, I actually was forced to memorize it. It was awful. <laughs> um, but it actually it it led me down a path of thinking I was better than... Other people. And it took me a long time to back away from that. Mm -hmm. Uh, One of my best friends from high school, which honestly, I'm surprised he decided to stay my best friend because he auditioned for this role and it was his first year in our high school. And I just looked at him and I was like, oh, you think you're going to get that role? And I think back on that and I cringe so hard. I was such a douchebag. And I'm not sure what the catalyst for sort of getting out of that mode was i imagine it was some college work working with mike and sandra and what got us to will players Mm -hmm. and seeing people that actually knew what they were doing (laughs) and i was just a big fish in a small pond for a really long
2: time right yeah so can you talk about like i mean you sort of like put a script in my hand, I'll go on stage, I'll perform. What did that process look like? How did your process like from this douchebag high schooler, you know, sort of evolve into college and grad school and beyond to more to your more professional endeavors now?
1: Yeah, so emotionally, I was a child. But at that, at the same time, having the mentality of put a script in my hand was fantastic. Because I remember times when I was doing three four five shows at a time so i was just absorbing so much material and just learning so much about how 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 theater actually works and not how i thought it worked from a sort of high school perspective and i i feel like i uh i got a lot out of it and i am who i am today obviously because of that i still feel like just put a script in my hand and put me on stage i just have a smaller head about it I think. <laughs> uh, I think I think there are a lot of I think there are a lot of performers that
0: when they first start it, it honestly is probably one or of two things right it's either that you get so confident that you're get kind of blindsided later in life or you're just not confident at all I had a similar experience except that the first play i ever auditioned for i got cast in because they needed me not not necessarily because i was i was great you know um they just, i was just the tallest black guy involved you know and i could play a dad in 12th grade to a 10th and a ninth grader so it was like i think i did well but you know who knows early on it was like there was a role for me so I I definitely can relate to like maybe being a little bit more sure of myself than I should have been
1: yeah you definitely can play an older person I'm more of an ingenue myself so
2: (laughs) when you shave at least
1: yeah my uh, baby face my razor broke actually I was gonna shave and I couldn't
2: (laughs) Uh, I mean I don't want to lean too 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 far into the gender their binary and presentation and all of that but,
1: well i mean that's a that's yeah.
0: a thing right it's a thing in in theater It is, it just yeah, is. it's just you know um, yeah
2: yeah absolutely like actor bodies you know like they they read a certain way to audiences and
1: my favorite time ever having to lean into that stereotype was when i played a dog because i got to grow my beard out big and crazy and bushy and it had nothing to do with like being a big burly man i was a fucking dog <laughs>
0: you were you were a dog that was very interesting uh, the moors the moors i don't know if you're familiar linnea the moors uh there's a the dog talks in the dog's world there's no there's no like crossover between the dog character and the people but there is this other kind of subplot going through the show
1: between a dog that has fallen in love with a hen oh yeah so it was a very and interesting... I definitely did not eat the hen at the end of the show definitely did not
0: <laughs> definitely ate the hen
2: <laughs> cool
0: oh geez it's so what's your type <laughs> a lot of a lot of actors get typecast they get kind of yeah. and I I know you so I know you you have in the past so what
1: what do people see when they see you I mean I tend to get cast as the clown or the fool you know, I, I, I get cast as that that comedy relief character, that that character that maybe doesn't add to the story, but the audience is going to love every time, even though uh, Aubrey, who we had on this show a while back, she was one of the first people that ever cast me as uh, sort of a, a lover character. I was Bertram. In All's Well That Ends Well, she did a couple series of scenes and she was like, you're my Bertram. And I was like, me? <laughs> Are you sure you want me as your Bertram? You know, there's a clown part in this scene that I could just <laughs> I could do that. And she was like, no, you're Bertram. And, and it, it's, it's definitely the first time I ever remember having the thought of, wow, I actually could play something beyond this type that I've been cast in for so long.
2: Yeah, I've never played like the lover ingenue type role. That's never been something. Do you get I've...
0: Do you get typecast when you're when you're in things, yeah. I
2: well, I I mean, in college, I got cast as like the older adult <laughs> in a lot of like I got cast as the dowager aunt in Head of Gobbler. and then I got <laughs> cast as the spinster actress aunt in Children's Hour, which shame yeah, me, that was good times.
1: That was a. I don't want to say that that was a great show because that show is designed to sink like a rock, but it, we had a great production of it.
2: <laughs> yeah. The production was great. And I mean, the audience has really loved it. So I, yeah, yeah, I get like, I get like parental roles a lot or like funny characters, you know, like mm-hmm. Lord Capulet and Lucio and, um, yeah, I don't get cast as women very often. Interesting. Anymore. Yeah
0: lately it's been more of a mix I've been able to kind of like it's well I guess maybe when it comes to Shakespeare I've been able to kind of like branch out a little bit but mostly um I'm like I've I've got some sort of wisdom to offer. and I
1: did cast you as the friar <laughs> and in much ado
0: and so. I'm usually older I'm usually like uh, you know an older character um you know, even but even, even when I play leads He's
2: like school well, adult, right yeah even,
0: and even when I play leads I'm like the oldest of the leads
1: I know I know this is I know this is a an episode about my my acting but I actually are, are Linnea are you working on anything and on anything dramaturgically right now not
2: right now no okay if you know
1: because any- I heard that you were doing writing and I wasn't sure if you were doing anything dramaturgically
2: no unfortunately um so if you're if you know of anyone looking for a freelance dramaturg I I need some some creative work in that regard but
0: there's this company, um, Will. Will it's Cor- named after Will one Corks of,
1: players, I think. I don't think that's it. Um, Kemp, right? That was the clown. No, like no, of, no, no, of- no. It was Harmon. Harmon. Will Harmon. Oh, oh, Harmon.
2: Hammond. Okay, yeah. Hammond.
1: Hammond. The Hammond brothers, right? Hammond. oh <laughs> lord i mean i think i think
0: i think we might be able to find oh. somebody that might might need a okay, dramaturge
2: okay. like, well, at
0: good. some point
1: having been dramaturged by you uh, which is an odd thing to say once you say it out loud um <laughs> awesome. you're great Thank at it
2: you. <laughs> me. Yeah, yeah i love it it's so much fun <laughs> 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 i've gotten it, I've been working on that fellow since um i did that dramaturgy fellowship i've gotten even better so like yeah. Oh,
0: sure. Oh, wow. That was a thing. a Fellowship for drama.
2: Yeah, I got to work with the the great Angie Morgan. So. Cool.
1: Fancy. But this is not
2: about me. This is about Shane. Damn
1: it. I thought I had turned the tables.
2: So, <laughs> <laughs> no, Shane, um, how do you, as a performer, and I guess, I mean, I know that we want to steer away from your directing thing, but you can include, can include a little bit of that it's part but of his... Yeah, as a performer, as a theater yeah. practitioner, more broadly, how do you envision your Space as a as a practitioner as a performer as an individual I like in the next few years like what are your goals oh oh
1: I, that's not what I thought that question meant at first so
2: I think I might have changed the question half <laughs> <of> you, but <laughs> Let's well,
1: go go well I was gonna say secrets. let me answer what I thought the question was and then I'll answer what you turned the question into okay uh, cool. because that's the because of how I sort of navigate my way through art is i i took what i had thought for a long time was my biggest weakness and it was my extreme sort of empath nature i I have this ability to just really recognize what most people are identifying with in a room and more often than not uh, i try to tune that out i try to turn that off because it can become overwhelming it's it's a lot of information to take in so I decided one day that I was just going to use that as my strength especially as a director maybe a little less so as an actor or performer um but I I I just kind of tap into that ability and and look around the room and try to gauge what people are looking for and what people are looking to get out of this process and then I just try to give it to them because at the end of the day if you want to get something out of it, one, you should. And two, when you do, the work you do is just going to be that much better. Um, And as far as what I sort of look to the future and what I want to do is I just, I don't know. If the world doesn't explode, I guess I want to continue doing this thing that I love. I mean, at some point it makes sense for me to, maybe become artistic director for wilkem's players i have been uh, i just am currently directing a kids midsummer uh, i got that sucker down to like 50 Kid minutes kids Kid summer. summer that was good <laughs>
0: uh so I, I i forgot i forgot the pun game
1: was gonna be on point yeah so it's going to be a lot of good episodes oh, yes, coming it's out of Linnea does not fork <laughs> around when it comes to a good pun. <laughs> uh, and then I've also, I don't know, here's the thing. I started going to these meetings for this company out of Amsterdam, which is my hometown, because since I moved back to Amsterdam, I thought it would make sense for me to tap into the arts community from which I came and see what I can contribute back into that. I don't know if I'm just going to meetings or if I'm on some sort of board. It's a little unclear, Um, (laughs) but it's a lot of old white people. And the first thing that I'm looking to do is embrace the community of Amsterdam and use that as the epicenter for their casting and their shows and their choices that they make and I wouldn't say that they seemed resilient but when I brought it up in the meeting there was this oh that sounds great but I don't know how to do it so I'm
2: sure.
1: starting to reach out to the local Amsterdam community and I think that's what I want to do I just want to go into the community uh, we do it with in, in Troy as well and honestly I think mm-hmm. we could do it even stronger in Troy um, so once I start redeveloping these connections I, I don't know, I just want to put them to use I want I I love directing kids, I I didn't think I was going to, I thought it was gonna be a little obnoxious. And these kids are better to work with than some adults I've worked with. (laughs) They're just so (laughs) engaged and willing and the amount that they're able to change in just five days is extraordinary. So yeah, that's, that's sort of what I see in the, I don't know, next three to 10 years, I guess. Cool. pending the world not exploding
2: right yeah I mean that's
1: yeah I, that's a good caveat
2: Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah no I think that's really important to you know make theater for the place that you where you are right yeah you know yeah like make theater and in, you know you know that community-driven community-based performance that like you know that people actually want to see you know so
0: yeah yeah Totally. Um, I, I I always think of, like, uh, every, whenever you talk about how, like, how much you enjoy, like, directing kids or, like, how much you want to work in, t- in the community, I always think back to, like, my first experiences as a kid with, like, professional performers and, like, the type of energy that they seem to have. And <laughs> you definitely have that energy. <laughs> so, I mean it works
1: I just I'm like the Pied Piper I just I just sing my tune and the kids are like what Shakespeare
2: <laughs> it, it into
1: a okay
0: <laughs> it might get you in trouble these days yeah yeah yeah. there's no no panel vans in your no future, right? I
1: have a four-door Honda <laughs> no tinted windows
2: <laughs> good because that's a free slope my friend
1: yeah 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 <laughs> this went off the rails quick about
0: that i don't know i don't know what the rules are there
1: is a kitty on screen i know nobody can see that and we might edit this out but how can you not acknowledge a kitty cat (laughs) there is a kitty and it's not the kitty in all your instagram pictures
2: yeah because pushkin doesn't photograph as readily because he is a black cat so the light needs to be like perfect right or else it's well we see this blob yeah trying to step on my computer and knock over the lamp and knock over my water. Look, so we'll like,
1: interview the
0: cat next week.
2: Right, I know he just needs.
0: I mean, it's the ultimate proof that the world isn't flat, right?
1: <laughs> everything would have gotten knocked off of it.
2: Yeah, exactly. by cats. That's right.
1: I would never heard that before. Cats hey, disprove hey. the ice wall. There you go.
2: But yeah, Pushkin just needs to be in the middle of everything, so that—that's
1: <laughs> what I remember about Pushkin. <laughs>
2: He's very pushy, <laughs> <laughs> which is not how he got his name, but it fits.
0: It works. He's living up to his name. He's living up to his namesake. What would you say, uh, Shane, has been like your most challenging
1: role? Ooh, I know that one easy, actually. Um, I say that and then I don't remember anything about it. Um, <laughs> I was playing Jake's in oh man what the hell was that play it wasn't a shakespeare play he was a i wasn't in it i know anyway he was he was this uh fat drunk clown character and i wore this fat suit and i wore this ridiculous orange plaid suit and Believe it or not, the hardest part of the role had nothing to do with the, the content um, or had nothing to do with like actually like wearing a fat suit and like putting on all this hot clothing and running around stage like a banshee. It had to do it had to do with the content because it was this drunk guy who was constantly letting people down. And what I didn't realize until it was all over and my mentor came to me and was like, are you okay? Because I don't know what was happening to you on stage, but it is clear that you're not okay. And I basically broke down in tears. Um, and she, and we continued to talk. And she was very much a therapist in that moment, uh, which I always thank her for. <laughs> um, and I started to realize it was, you know, having grown up, with a father who was a drunk, uh, I was tapping into so much of that material in my head without realizing I was tapping into all of that. So I was putting all of this vulnerability on stage without putting it through its proper paces. And by the time it was all over, before I, I had even realized it, it had just eaten away at so much of my ability. And I, honestly I didn't act after that for a little while because I just couldn't I couldn't wrap my head around it anymore um I had I had abused myself way too much and Mm -hmm. uh and that was a turning point for me to recognize that wow leave that shit on stage
2: (laughs) yeah that's intense yeah boundaries are important
1: yeah and that's and that's what that role definitely taught me it was I boundaries aren't just for social interactions with friends and family and people you meet, you know, you have to have those boundaries with characters you build, uh, which is weird and something I haven't really talked about in a long time, but I always, you know, I have a little spot in my head for all the characters that I've played, but, you know, they stay there.
2: (laughs) Is there a character, is there a role you've had that was particularly challenging, not for like, like good challenging, I guess. Yeah. You, you think about and tap into over and over. I don't know.
1: Yeah, I do actually. And that would be Mercutio in Romeo and Juliet. Oh.
2: Uh, that
1: was uh, one of my first productions with Mike Lake. He played-
2: I know Mike Lake. Wow.
1: I think I know him too. <laughs> Who did you play? <laughs> Benvolio. Uh, Benvolio. Here's the thing. My head went Baraccio. No, Benedict. No, <laughs> neither of those names. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm playing Jake.
0: Baraccio now.
1: <laughs> and actually uh, fun bit of information. Uh, I was I was playing the role. I was having a great time, and one of our co-stars had previously got me to smoke cannabis for the first time. And Are
2: we allowed to talk about that here. I, I, we've <laughs> never
1: talked about it before, but I'm okay. I'm okay. I, I'm okay with saying that out loud. And so that same performer came up to me and was like, "So Mercutio, he's a special kind of character." What other drugs are you willing to do with me? <laughs> and uh, so we, that was my first ever mushroom trip. Nice. And I had, I don't know, a 15, 20 minute conversation with a speck of dust. And in that moment, I was like, oh, I get Mercutio now. Okay. Oh, I
0: get Queen Mab now. <laughs>
1: yeah. I was like, oh, that's what Queen Mab means. Okay. All right. And yeah, that was easily one of the most rewarding roles I ever played but you know it was it was an early on role and I feel like a lot of times those early on roles that you do tend to be the most meaningful and the ones you remember the most because you went from zero to a hundred real quick
2: yeah yeah they're definitely formative in a way that that later roles as you get deeper into the craft are I mean not that they're not impactful but yeah definitely feels like a you know kind of a growing up kind of thing
1: and I got to do it with Mike, so. I mean, That's I died in was that his befo- arms. That was, before, that was before we decided to do t- Taming.
0: And then that was just too much Mike and Shane.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was probably the role I had the most fun with, but also look back and be like, yeah, I, I stole parts of that show I shouldn't have stole. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I sure did. Maybe I I play Petruchio and at any opportunity, you should be stealing the show from
0: Petruchio because he's kind of an asshole. That's true.
2: Oh, gosh. I would love to. I mean, I've acted in short things with you, Mike, and I've done a couple of full things with you, Shane. Most recently, I guess, the murder mystery, but that sounds rude.
1: Oh, yeah. Uh, Sometimes I block out the murder mystery as like a theatrical endeavor I've taken.
2: I know. (laughs) Like that was, (laughs) yeah, that's...
1: (laughs) And it was the one I got paid for, you know. (laughs) I know. And still, I still block. And it's not even that I block it out because it was bad. I don't know. I just it felt too easy at times.
2: (laughs) I know it felt like not work necessarily because we kind of I don't know. At least the couple of years that I did it, the cast all seemed to like really work off each other really well and have a really good time and kind of I mean listening to what to I guess it was the latest episode that went out talking oh no I was listening to the one with Aaron. Um mm.
1: oh our previous bamboozle.
2: Yeah to prep for this to get <laughs> an idea of what I was getting myself into. But yeah and kind of getting a little nostalgic about that murder mystery because like especially you as the um what was your character's the ghostbuster name? Yeah.
1: Oh man.
2: <laughs> all of your all of your gadgets and and like sometimes misplaced like aggression, not aggression, but like
1: <laughs> a little. I mean, that show was designed to be very dismissive of that character, so
2: oh, yeah, yeah. it was it was
1: constantly fun to be the sad clown. I mean, if you're gonna be a clown, be a sad clown. Yeah.
2: And especially weighed down by like weird things. Yeah, I had your-
1: like what three or four <laughs> props in that show. I had a I camera had case.
2: Some were like toilet bowl cleaners. So, <laughs>
1: <laughs> I mean, for those listening, uh, Christopher Moneymaker, who we've had on the episode before, uh, he is co-owner of that company. So, I think he was in charge of like coordinating some of those props, but then he moved to Atlanta. <laughs> <laughs> and we were left in charge of those props. Yep. <laughs> so I've, uh, never, I've, I've done one,
0: uh, like murder mystery dinner theater thing, and just one time. It was this one event. Um, it's, and so I I don't know too much about it, but I know a little bit about running a theater company. So what was what was like the difference between? Uh, what we do with Kemps and like what are those considerations over
1: what you're doing when you're running like full production theater? Surprisingly it was the process is extraordinarily similar because Will Kemps players tends to work at a very collaborative atmosphere even if there is a director in the room the conversations among actors are still very prevalent and important to the building. And that was always true in the, in the murder mystery. We were given a script and said, this is loosely what you are going to do and say on stage. But the point was to imbibe life into those characters, to, to make them real because each role was also double cast. So they had to be loose enough for people to kind of latch their own identities onto it. It also wasn't my first murder mystery, or my first dinner theater, I should say. Mm. I did Tony and Tina's wedding way back in the day. Oh, I remember
0: that. Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. I, I was supposed and, to do it, and then I couldn't do it because I was in
0: something else.
1: Is that what it was? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, that show's problematic in many ways. Um, <laughs> one being I was cast as the, the, the character's name is Gay Videographer
2: awesome
1: yeah and so looking I look back on that and I was like wow that I shouldn't have done I shouldn't have made half of those choices I made possibly shouldn't have done that to begin with um but I definitely didn't do it in a respectful way and honestly it's tough as an actor looking back at all these choices you've made in the past and recognizing that some of them were toxic some of them were inappropriate and 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 damaging and and hurtful and not in any sort of beneficial way and not to say that Mm -hmm. all of my characters have been like that not by a stretch but you still look back and reminisce and you're like well I you know I I did that and and I shouldn't have
2: yeah
1: Bromden Chief Bromden and Cuckoo's
0: Nest for you, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Shouldn't have done that.
2: <laughs> I mean, I didn't, like again, like I,
0: I don't think I did anything inherently offensive other than indigenous erasure, <laughs> you know. Um, but yeah, yeah. That's my, that's my. Shouldn't have done that. Shouldn't
1: have done that. Linnea, do you have a shouldn't have done that moment?
2: I'm trying to think if I have specific characters that I've played that I'm like, oh, yikes. Um, there was a play that I was in in college called "Run for Your Wife." It's a British farce, and about as good as the title would suggest. Sure. And
1: Yeah.
2: <laughs> I played the wife, and it was, well, I mean, that whole that whole process and production, like the whole experience, was not good. Um, no, I mean, partly because the script is not good. Uh, <laughs> but the, yeah, there's a stereotypical gay character like plays you know as the upstairs neighbor and whatever so it's like and it's just like very i don't know like the sexual politics are unhealthy and misogynistic of course um yeah it's just kind of like leaving a little bit of a bad taste in my mouth like my character was so not developed like she was just an underdeveloped character like she was just like there to serve the plot which was about the main guy who like has this wife and then also dating this other woman and whatever so it was gross. Um I'm all about ethical non-monogamy but that's a whole different thing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it wasn't
0: from that show, was it? <laughs> it was
2: not that. <laughs> no. So that's been, so it was more like the the script and the the specific production as a whole that was not good. Um and yeah, my fellow most of my most of the fellow castmates were like unpleasant um, <laughs> and the guy playing my husband like to give me unsolicited advice as far as my is. and it's Oof. like we are backstage and I am about to go on like this is not the time nor the place and can you not?
1: <laughs> Especially like, during a um, run Jesus. Seriously like it's bad enough if you haven't created an atmosphere where actors converse with one another and then you have an actor that tells another actor what to do and you're like eh, don't yeah.
2: Yeah, exactly. Just, just don't. So that was overall a bad experience, but I don't think, uh, and maybe I've just blocked it out. But I don't think that there, I have any characters in my past like skeletons in my closet that I just like have <laughs> done. But I might think of it. We get off this, uh, oh, get we'll, off we'll this Yeah, we'll
1: come back to <laughs>
0: that. Um, that being said, and because both of you spent a large chunk of your life studying it. I kind of want to turn to both of you and say like well how how do you as modern forward-thinking progressive thinkers deal with that in Shakespeare because it's all over the place you know a premise the ent- entire premise of some shows are predicated on just bad takes <laughs> <laughs> you know just <this>, like <laughs> terrible takes about men and women and gender and so like how do you attack it personally and I guess I guess we'll start with Shane since this is this is the well, Shane episode
1: yeah I mean <clears throat> <clears throat> let me speak as a straight white man on this topic <laughs> you know what I mean and I think I asked you as a straight white man I don't know I know and that's and you know making a joke about it or half but- a straight white man at the end of the day, I take that into consideration. You know, I, I, I have to, I have to take that in, into consideration because it's inappropriate if I don't. And quite frankly, I would love to hear what Linnea has to say about this because she's just a kick-ass dramaturg, and like, I feel like that's your bread and butter—having being able to wrap those conversations around Shakespearean text and get people engaged with it in a modern mindset. Yeah. And I just think you're really great at that. Because <laughs> yeah. I've watched you do it. I know I was going to compliment you so much. No.
2: Ooh, getting a big head over here.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> um yeah, that's a really big question. And I wanna like come out and say first that there is not one, nor is there an easy answer to this question. Um, but I think the the biggest Thing when approaching any text early modern you know whatever but yeah yeah like Shakespeare early modern with a modern day you know with our 21st century sensibilities and our you know our wokeness and whatever um <laughs> first of all I don't think that things that are troubling or problematic should just automatically be cut because that's you know what do you gain what do you lose you know and something should be cut but not necessarily and not just automatically because they are offensive or or what you know or what we would engage with in a very different way now um and so that said um yeah I think tackling something head on and I think making it I mean first of all like having a very, very clear sense of what the overall world of the play is. Like what world are you creating on stage? Um, And how does, you know, a particular moment, a particular scene, a particular theme, how does that fit in the world? Does it, um, can you engage with it as as a, and, you know, obviously without being didactic or moralizing or anything like you, you know, like, you can show things in a way that it's clear, like, this is not, like, this is, like, this is the world as it is, but not how it should be, or not how it could be. Yeah, Um, yeah. And.
1: It's almost like highlighting those moments is important.
2: Yeah, I think so. And not, yeah, definitely don't ignore them. Don't sweep them under the rug. Don't try to, like, through it really fast so the audience kind of doesn't notice or forget that it's there Um, Sure, because i've kind of seen that where it's like they they do this but they don't engage with the ideas that they're putting out there so i think it's just active engagement and being aware of all of the you know the these palimpsests of meaning to borrow one of dr menzer's favorite words Um, (laughs) um, but like all of the layers and all of the possibilities like you know, what does it mean in this moment? What does this moment mean for two scenes from now? Like, what does it, what do you gain by, by engaging with this moment in this world and by putting it on stage in front of an audience? Because if it's something that like, that is hard to grapple with, I think in a lot of ways that makes it worth doing, but worth doing thoughtfully.
0: Yeah, I think some of my favorite, um, instances of this thing that's funny if you're looking at it from like you said from the morals and of a time that came before examining it I I think is worth it's worth examining that sometimes because you can you can completely change the tone of a play depending on how you deal with the thing like you said if you're just breezing over a thing and hoping nobody noticed that it happened or that it's a problem sure that's one way to not glorify it because a lot of that stuff is like this is glorification of a thing that we don't want to glorify but i think it's almost worth like destroying a funny moment like you take take for instance um uh, the scene, uh, just because we talked about it, the scene in in Taming of the Shrew where Petruchio uh, basically is starved Kate, yeah. and she's like completely just falling apart, and like, fine, I give up. Like she acquiesces. I think in in a, in a modern show that should be ugly. That should not be funny. That should be the point in the show. Where the ha-has are, are, you know, have have subsided, and maybe we're starting to think about what's really happening on stage. Um, I have no, I, was, I have no qualms with making traditionally funny things not
2: funny. Yeah, and I think that there is something to be said because you can still make them funny, but in a oh kind yeah. of like, yeah. I, and you know, to sort of keep that quote-unquote accessibility as far as what is happening. But yeah, I think that keeping that allowing the the seriousness and the weight of these moments to land is really important.
1: I mean, how many times have you like had one of those moments on stage and you or you've been in an audience and you laugh at something and then the tone of the play shifts and all of your sudden all of a sudden you're like, well, why did I laugh at that? And you start to turn that mirror back on yourself and start to examine what is happening, why it was happening, and why you had the reaction you had to it. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, Petruchio, Starving Kate, that's not funny, but the text can lead you towards moments of laughter in there. Mm -hmm. And then within that, you can sort of force your audience to to face different perspectives.
2: Yeah, and I think Mm -hmm. sort of in a similar moment the when they in um uh in twelfth night when they put malvolio in the cage and and ridicule yep. him and humiliate him and i have yet to see a production of of twelfth night that really kind of grapples with the depth of that humiliation um and that's something that i would be very interested in seeing in working on in thinking about and writing about you know
1: I feel like that would be a tough one to pull off too, just because of how that character is designed up until that point. You know, the audience does, you know, the audience is laughing at him all the time and he's never really put in a great light. So when you see him get tortured, you're like, yeah, he had it coming, But but did he? Yeah.
2: Like, what did, okay, what did he do that was so bad? Sure. He was kind of trying to reach above his station, which had, very different connotations in, you know, the in Shakespeare's day, like yeah. original audiences would have read that as very differently, especially as he was, you know, portrayed and would have been read as this religiously non-conforming person as well, with his quote-unquote Puritanism. Um, so he has those two strikes, but neither of those things read the same way to a modern audience. So needing to yeah, like, also true. shape and massage again like what is the world of the play doing and how does you know translation of the world of the play and how like what what would hold that kind of weight for a modern audience that that you know a 16th century early 17th century audience would have immediately been like ah clocking clocking that you know
1: yeah i I would think as a, a modern audience there are ways you could definitely stage that where him trying to reach above his station is arguably a good thing that that's a a very like
2: bootstrap story you know
1: yeah and especially in america
0: yeah Yeah, exactly like that's that's something that's that's really interesting like place twelfth night in america and make malvolio the the, hero every man Yeah.
1: yeah yeah
2: yeah um i mean like i don't know what will kemp is doing will kemp's players is doing next season but that's something that we've
1: I I think Twelfth Night's probably another year or two away because that was their first two seasons. Oh, sure. I mean Yeah, yeah. We did it, we did it as like our, our first uh full production.
0: And then we brought it back in our first season that we had a rep for the summer. Um yeah cool. it, talking about this makes me think about a choice that we made in as you like or much ado about nothing this year that is like so close to making the bad guys the good guys and it's where ben Vol- or it's where and now i'm doing it it's where uh Baraccio tells don john and conrad about the arrangement that the prince has made with conrad uh-huh. and how he's going to woo hero and then give her to claudio and just with one little sound i say uh and give her to Count Claudio, and then we and all then just everyone go. everyone on stage,
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: you know, oh, and it's part. like for just, yes. a, just a second, it's like, oh, who are the bad guys here? <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah, like, like, what right does anyone have to give her to anybody else? Like, <laughs> come on,
0: absolutely.
2: Um, yeah, another, yeah, like definitely read very differently to its original audience than it does to us today,
0: yeah. Yeah, to them, it's probably, it was probably like,
1: oh, yeah. That's yeah, just how it cool works. Cool plan, bro. Yeah,
2: exactly, <laughs> right? I mean, it's, it's...
1: Claudio couldn't do it by himself, come on. <laughs>
2: right. And, like, Hero has so few lines. I just, in my head... And again, I've yet to see a production that really engages with this idea, but that, like, I just envision a hero who's, like, who, who's reading all the time, who, like, is in the room and is observing everything, but kind of, you know likes her own company and likes mm. her books but then claudio comes in and she's like who is that and, <laughs> and like so it's so like yeah like she's just like wow wow um and that she has never felt this way before about anyone like no one has impacted her this way and so when he betrays her at their wedding day it's like oh yeah you would kind of lose your shit about that like mm. you fault yeah. because this is like real heartbreak
1: and just because it's hard yeah. to give hero agency in that show doesn't mean it can't be done it just takes more work it's arguably
2: explicitly in the text yeah
1: yeah we gave her a slap fun yep. we
0: she slaps Claudio at the end of the show nice right before she's
1: like
2: Okay, you. <laughs> yeah yeah like you did something uh, yeah. really awful but
1: also yeah. we cut the Claudio Pedro mourning at her tomb scene because oh, I God, just I. I don't I can't
2: it just, it just brings all the entire play to a halt like I have like I, I would love to see it done in a way that like that doesn't bore me to tears <laughs>
1: <laughs> and doesn't glorify the asshole moves they did, like I feel like it just gives them
2: and like reveling in their male yeah. pain, yeah, it's like, who cares? She's the one who's heartbroken, like she's the one who has to deal with this, and she's the one whose reputation is at yeah. stake like that is yeah, it makes me anyway <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, no, i'm I'm glad we got into it because it's you know, it's again, like. Any any insight into these things I think offers us with just a little window as to like how our individual decisions impact a show in total, in, in, in the totality of the show and, you know, impact the way a show is like received and understood. Um, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So Shane uh I I want to thank you for being so amenable to our little yes I had so much saying Linnea, it. <laughs> Linnea, Linnea thank you for for uh for joining me on my on my journey to uh revenge uh <laughs> in these last few moments I do want to turn our you know I, t- I want to turn our attention to your work I I you are you you informed me that you were working on some podcasting of your own
2: yeah i have and when i say pre-production i mean very pre like way pre Um, everything's
0: got a way pre stage. yeah
2: yeah. i've got a couple of projects in the hopper and i need to again like moving is a whole thing so like trying to figure out you know get all the logistics um all my ducks in a row but like if you two clowns can do a podcast so can I Um, (laughs) for real though like that's
0: no joke (laughs) what do you want to tackle
2: um well there's one that my friend um Shane do you know Danielle Festa yeah you do of course yeah Yeah. so Danielle Festa and I have been talking about doing a, a podcast starting with Winona Earp and the 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 premise is that we're gonna call it okay i'm giving a lot of information to a to a public forum but that's okay um
0: (laughs) we won't hold you to anything yeah
2: yeah but right now the working title is nothing new because first of all like we're two women talking about pop culture and like (laughs) of course that's you know like that hasn't been done before but also because the the main shtick of the podcast is that she at least for the first season is that danielle who is a huge winona Earp fan going to drag me kicking and screaming into watching Winona Earp. And we're going to like <laughs> dissect it and you know engage with it in a kind of kind of funny kind of you know academic way and Love I'm it. really excited because she and I like and also it's just an excuse to to talk to each other once a week so.
1: <laughs> yeah you two would be very funny on a podcast together.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean,
0: that's why we started is to just have an excuse to talk to each other (laughs) yeah
2: yeah exactly so i'm really looking forward to that and then my second idea which i've been which has been floating around in my mind for a while um working title is we get lit and the idea is to engage with various pieces of literature and the you know predominantly the alcoholic beverages that are discussed in them but like food and other beverages as well and talk about you know the cultural you know all those cultural meanings and the context of of that history. So, like,
1: look at you playing I, with my expectations. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and um, and I was just talking, and so you know my biggest thing is like, I need to find a good co-host who likes research and reading and has good rapport with me. And I was talking about this the other day to our good friend Jess Shearmeister, sure, our, who is my best friend, and she's just like, um what about me and i'm like of course that makes so <laughs> <much> sense <laughs> so like <laughs> so that's kind of what's in what's in my brain and we'll see how things develop as we actually start doing them so watch this space i guess but we'll yeah, do. yeah.
1: yeah.
0: we'll have we'll have you come back and with whomever is your co-host for whichever of those <laughs> things you oh, get that. rolling first
2: yeah and like there's so much food and drink in early modern drama that like we could so make, much like, a really fun crossover crossover episode yeah. Yeah. i mean
1: the henry fours will have you talking for weeks you know i know
2: right we just have like a six-part series where it's <laughs> a six-part crossover <laughs>
0: we'll have you back and you can tell us what the mustard and as you like it is all about because i've done this show three times and i still don't get it <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah that would be really fun (laughs) yeah I'm I'm really excited because I love I love food history and you know I work in wine I work in a tasting room here in Portland and so like I you know and you know the history and you know modern and the like the history of beverages and food and you know today and whatever so kind of engaging with that lit crit Cultural
0: history, kind of thing. So love it, love
2: it. Yeah.
0: All right. Well, thank you so much for coming and talking with us. It's been like an hour, and I didn't even realize it, and which is crazy. Fun. Yeah, definitely flew. And we should talk more when we're not recording a podcast because I haven't talked to you in years.
2: Oh, it's been so good to see you. It's been
0: so long. All right. Well, thank you so much. Thanks for sitting with us. And thank you, Shane, again. No prob, Bob.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you both.
1: All right. I'm taking back control.
2: This is the Shane
0: show. I love how that took your unofficial, official sound effects.
1: I don't know know why I've done it like two (laughs) or three times now. Uh, All right. Yeah. So uh, thank me for coming on the podcast today. It was great talking to me, as you know, as always. And I was wondering, Shane, do you have any audience participation for today? And the more I think about it, I just don't. So, let's... <laughs> uh, So,
0: audience participation. Actually, a little bit of news and then audience participation. So, this is episode 30. We've made it.
1: Yeah, we did. That's huge. We are
0: officially... Old enough to have a backache. And um, so yeah, we're with episode 30. Uh the show is going to take a two-week break, like we did before. However, we are not. We are gonna keep recording and we're gonna get ahead of the ball a little bit. So uh we will be here next week, but you won't. We will see you soon. Stay tuned. Maybe we'll drop some special little little tidbits in between, like we did before and uh thank you again same as always check out our patreon check out anchor to support the show directly my audience participation is what do you want to hear us talk about we've gone on for a season and a half and we've kind of talked to a bunch of different people about a bunch of different things sometimes just their thing and sometimes uh we've had topics and themes what do you want to hear? Who do you want us to talk to? Do you have artists that you would like us to try to reach out to and, and get on the show? Let us know on our Facebook at www.facebook.com slash active listeners
1: podcast, or you can also check us out on the Twitters at act list pod. And as always join in the conversation. Peace.
0: You like what you hear leave us a rating and if you really like what you hear and you want to support the show go to patreon.com slash active listeners pod and become a patron our theme music it's a trap was created by remodel thanks for listening